0: Um, Father, thank you for your life-giving word. Thank you that we can come now and, and have it read and, and have it explained uh, for us. Um, we just pray that you would speak um, to us, humble our hearts, um, soften them by your spirit. And um, yeah, we pray that um, we would come away knowing something more of, of uh, your greatness, the glory of our Lord Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, speak to us and change us by what we hear today. Amen. Uh, amen. Thanks, James.
1: Okay, I'm reading from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead.
0: Good morning. Well, as uh, Steve said, yes, it is wonderful to be able to be looking through John's gospel, isn't it? What a great, um, what a great book it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad I wasn't here for the, for the first part. But these last sort of five or six chapters of John so have been a real encouragement to me personally and great to be able to share them together. We're in the final chapter of John. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the first half of that today. Next week, uh, I'm not able to be here because of a prior commitment. Alex Bainton is going to be preaching for us. It's Mother's Day. Uh, and then I'll come back and we'll do the final, final bit in John's Gospel uh, the following week. And then after that, Jack is preaching for us. So that's May mapped out for you. So there we are. Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word because it is our life. We just pray that this day you would encourage us and challenge us and uh, lift us up, lift our, lift our eyes up to see you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I'm watching a movie, one of my favourite bits is always the epilogue. You know, that little bit at the end where sometimes it's just a, a, a bit of text on the screen, sort of saying, you know, what happened? Did they survive? Uh, did they live heavily, happily ever after? Did they live heavily ever after? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still waking up the movie The Shawshank Redemption. Have you seen The Shawshank Redemption? It's a cracker movie. It ends on a beach side, beside the sea, in Mexico. And the movie's about uh, a number of inmates in a notorious US prison. It's a prison and a system designed to drill all hope out of people. Andy is one of the characters, and he's played by Tim Robbins, and he enters prison with two life sentences for a crime that he didn't commit, and he insists that hope is his only chance for survival. Well, there's another character in the movie, Red. He's played by Morgan Freeman, and he disagrees with Andy on the issue of hope. Red believes hope is actually dangerous because it will eventually disappoint. And most of the characters and events in the movie actually tend to validate Red's point of view rather than Andy's on hope. So the movie climaxes. Now there might be some, there's a spoiler alert here, so if you haven't seen it, just um, plug your ears. Um, The movie climaxes around the conflict that has developed between Andy and the warden of the prison, having been brutally treated over the years by the warden. One morning, Andy's cell is empty. And everyone in the prison assumes that somehow. He has taken his life and a search begins. But what they find concealed in his cell is a hole in the wall that he had been digging for 20 years. And he had won. His hope was rewarded with freedom. The warden then becomes the instrument of his own demise. And so then you have the epilogue. What happens to these guys? And what happens is that Red sees a new view of hope. He cooperates in his parole hearing and is released. And then he follows some instructions that Andy had given him and finds himself on a coach to Mexico. And he's, and he's saying these words to himself on the coach, on the way to Mexico. These are the words. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. And then they meet on the beach in Mexico and that's the end of the movie. Well, today's Bible passage from John's Gospel is another epilogue to a story about hope and the events also take place on a beach beside the sea. The whole of John's Gospel has been bit by bit revealing the glory of Jesus, a series of miraculous signs and incredible interactions that leave us thinking, it looks like there is more to life, something bigger, hope for humanity and the drama comes to a climax as these hopes which are built up built up built up seem to be dashed startlingly jesus hands himself over to his enemies and he is then brutally humiliated unjustly tried and executed on the roman cross and of course the great triumph of the story comes when the women who had gone to the tomb after jesus death they find it empty Now, Jesus hasn't just escaped his cell and secretly fled to Mexico. He has risen from the dead. And he appears to them alive. And it's proof and it's reassurance, first to Mary, but also to the disciples as they gather together on two separate different occasions. And then last week we saw that, understandably, Thomas, who wasn't present At the first appearance of Jesus, he was unsure if he could believe that Jesus had risen without actually seeing him with his eyes and actually touching with his fingers the wounds. And we saw that great picture on the screen, the old painting of Thomas putting his finger into the wound. And, you know, sometimes we need a bit of help to drive home the truth into our heads and our hearts. But the whole story is now behind us. Jesus' work is done. He is returning to his father in glory But there are some loose ends. What happens to the characters? Does the whole story make a difference for them? And we meet them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've left Jerusalem and they've headed north to Galilee, their home, where so much of Jesus' ministry had happened over the previous three years. And there are seven of them together, not the whole 12. And maybe it's something about being home again, you know, Perhaps it's the memories of the lake as they come up over the hill and the, the smell of the salt air kind of hits them or something and they see the, the, the Lake Galilee. Or maybe they just some, you know, need to provide a few meals for themselves, but Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the, the rest of them say, that's a great idea, we'll come too." So they jump in the boat and off they go onto Lake Galilee. Now, it's not a casual afternoon social outing. Presumably the best time to catch fish on Lake Galilee is overnight. So that's what they do. They fish all through the night and they catch absolutely nothing. Zip. Perhaps you know the feeling, Steve. Sorry, I'm not <laughs> Just because you told us you were a fisherman. But perhaps you, you, you have experienced this, this feeling. That certain expectation about going, when you're going out fishing, what are you expecting? You're kind of thinking, what am I going to catch? And as ex-professional fishermen, perhaps there's an even stronger sense for them. Dawn breaks, they're out on the boat and they, they, they head back to shore. And they're about 100 metres out and they hear a voice from the direction of the beach. Hey friends, didn't you catch any fish? there's someone there. They could see a figure through the dim morning light. And that's a pretty brutal question, don't you think? Next time you see a fisherman, you you see Steve down on the beach at dawn sometime, looking like he's been there all night, try asking him, hey friend, didn't you catch any fish? (laughs) How would you know? And what is it to you anyway, thinks Steve. But brutal, as the honest truth is in this circumstance, they yell back to the stranger on the shore, no, no fish. I mean, it's a bit of a miracle, isn't it, that all these men, these fishermen have actually been honest with this stranger on the, on the shore. But the person on the shore says, well, throw your nets down here on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, I would not be at all surprised if there's a bit of tension on the boat at this point. You know, first of all, they're pretty tired. They're pretty disappointed, maybe a little bit defensive. If we know the male headset and the way our, you know, our way of dealing with these kinds of situations, they're not asking for advice from the shore. These guys are pros. They don't need some helpful onlooker giving them handy tips from a distance. Next time you have a tradie come to your house, try giving them some helpful tips as they do the work that they do every day and you'll get some funny looks and you might hear some muttering under their breath. Don't try and work out what they're saying. It probably won't be very edifying. (laughs) Why on earth would I throw my net down again? I've been here all night. I just want to go home and have a sleep. The nets are all folded up here in the boat. We're done for the day. I know what I'm doing anyway, you can feel the tension, can't you? But they do it. They let the nets down and and when they do, they feel this huge school of fish thumping into the net. And they start pulling and they're dragging it up out of the water and it's heavy, it's so heavy they can't even pull it in. And it's bursting with the splish, splash and flip-flop of fish desperately trying to escape. Wow, what just happened? Something's a little odd about this situation. The person on the shore, he, he knew everything. He knew who they were. Well, they, they didn't realise that just yet. He knew they'd caught nothing. And now he knew that hidden in the dark waters below the boat, over on the right-hand side of the boat, was an approaching school of fish. He knew that. John Twiggs. And he says to the others, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. Who else would it be? Well, as soon as Simon Peter hears this, he grabs his, his garment, throws himself in the water. Peter is a man of strong impulses at the best of times. But I think there's even more going on for him as we'll explore in two weeks' time. He's carrying this desperately heavy burden of guilt arising from his own denials of Jesus on the night before Jesus died. And yet Peter's example here is nevertheless a good one for us. Very often, what does guilt cause us to do? It causes us just to go quiet, you know, and to not have the conversation. Maybe we've hurt someone with words or actions. And it's, it's very easy to go into a different kind of denial from Peter's denial a sort of, I'm not saying anything about this, I pretend and hope that things will work themselves out kind of denial. Or we just feel too uncomfortable to raise the big issues. Well, this is not Peter. For Peter, he's launching himself into the water as if being close to Jesus is the only thing that matters right now. The other disciples are still in the boat and they they bring the boat into the shore and they're towing this net behind the boat. And it's full of this massive catch of fish. And they land the boat and they see that Jesus has made a fire on the beach. And there's some fish on the fire and some bread. And they head up to meet him. But Jesus has in mind more than just one or two fish on the fire. He, he says, no, 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 go back and, and bring in some of the fish you've just caught. Look at them all. Let's, let's have a big breakfast is what is in Jesus' mind. And now here, notice, notice again Peter. Jesus here gives the command and Peter jumps into action. And either he is an extraordinarily strong man or there's a second part of this miracle or perhaps a bit of both because it says Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore on his own. It was full of large fish 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. This guy has just done on his own what all of them together couldn't do when they were in the boat, and somehow the nets are not breaking. Now, some of you may be thinking that the details of this fishing story remind you of a previous one. And yes, there is another account of Jesus' Giving miraculous fishing instructions to his disciples, and it's back in Luke chapter five, a different gospel, and earlier on in the whole account. This this account in Luke comes at the moment when Jesus is first calling his disciples, and they really are fishing. Really, is their full-time occupation at that time. It's the it's the same lake, and quite possibly not far from where they are now. And on that occasion, the nets did break. In fact, the boats began to sink. Jesus has said, don't be afraid from now on. You will fish for people. And so that becomes the, the, the start of it. That's their call. And then they, they leave everything, Luke says, and they follow Jesus. Back to the story in John. This time, Jesus invites them to feast with him over a big breakfast. And he serves them with the bread and with the fish Two very similar events in some ways, but each with a different twist. And there's a beautiful phrase at the end of verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Perhaps it wasn't completely obvious from Jesus' appearance who he was. Otherwise, I don't know why John would have needed to say this. There are significant hints, particularly in this gospel and also in Luke's gospel, that the resurrected Jesus did look somewhat different. And you think about the uh, the story of the men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus wasn't even recognizable. But here the disciples are so dumbstruck by this miracle, by what he's done, that even if the man did look a little bit different... He was so obviously the same Jesus who'd been doing extraordinary signs amongst them the whole way along. He was recognised here more by his power than even by his face. So so what are we to make of this extraordinary story? Especially for anyone, well not just for those who like a spot of fishing and breakfast on the beach, but for all of us, What what do we make of this It's an epilogue. It's in a very different part of the story from the Luke story. What does it tell us about life for these disciples beyond the cross and the resurrection? One preacher I heard preaching on this passage, um, a recording uh, this week, said he thought of this as being like a parable. Normally we think of parables as being stories that Jesus himself told to illustrate a point about the kingdom of God. Well, this certainly illustrates a few things about the kingdom of God. But in this story, Jesus himself is at the the center of the story. And here, the story is not recounted by him, but one of his witnesses, John. And of course, that's, that's how we encounter the kingdom of God, isn't it? That we encounter it through the witness of those who saw him. And at the center of the kingdom of God is Jesus himself. Four quick points about this parable. The events take place during the overlap between the night and the day. Throughout John, references to the night are regular and and significant, symbolising the darkness of our world and its need for Jesus. You think of Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus on the first, first time under the cover of darkness. Or you think of Jesus, the arrest of Jesus at night. Or you think even in the introductory verses of John, uh, we probably looked at those about 10 years ago, I don't know how long ago, but um, in those introductory verses, uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a big theme of the whole of John in a sense. In this parable, Jesus appears at dawn and he calls, himself, calls them to himself as the light of day dawns. There's a new era of some sort here, an era where, people, where where we are to be brought out of the darkness and into the light. Secondly, the disciples are called from the sea to the shore. The sea in the ancient world was a symbol of chaos and danger. In particular, it represented the Gentile world. And here we have the disciples straining in their labours on the sea and this is this is familiar to us isn't it straining in our labors feeling fruitless in the sea of chaos and disappointment and danger and yet they're called out of the sea to a banquet on the land with Jesus Jesus regularly refers to our heavenly future as a banquet or a feast Third thing, the disciples are laboring at their fishing, but Jesus is the one who makes their labors fruitful. I mean, we, we labor every day and are often painfully aware of the fruitlessness of our labor, whether it's the, the, the family or the relational stuff or evangelism or whatever our labors are. The disciples here, they have work to do, but they will need to think about it differently now from how they have in the past. In in particular, they will be fishing for people. And Jesus makes that parallel explicit in all the other Gospels. Here it's more implicit. They will be trying to win people for God. And yet it will be God himself who will fill the net. They'd worked hard throughout the night, but the first thing Jesus wants them to admit is that they'd caught nothing for all of their labours. Only when they, they, they acknowledge that does Jesus then open the floodgates of their fishing fruitlessness. And boy, did he fill those nets. And fourth thing about this parable, about the kingdom, Jesus knows everything in this story. He knows they're out fishing. He knows they've caught nothing. He knows whereabouts on the beach they're coming back to. He knows where the big school of fish is. He knows which side of the boat they're going to need to cast the nets in order to catch the fish. And this is just the tiniest glimpse of his transcendent, infinite knowledge of all of the details of their life going forward and all the details of our lives And so he is able to provide the feast that they need. And he is able to provide the feast that we need and long for. And so to finish, what about us? I personally have found this week this this parable of the kingdom extremely encouraging and, um, and challenging. There is Jesus watching everything in my life. He's not limited simply to the knowledge of the fish in my vicinity. He knows all the details of my life. He knows that, you know, and that kind of knowledge coming from the one who has restored me and is drawing me to the shore, to the dawn of the new day, to the feast of his kingdom, that knowledge is so amazing and it lifts my soul. His power, therefore, to orchestrate all of the details of my life. His power is unlimited. And so I can live each day knowing that I don't have to know everything about it. I can wake up in a certain level of freedom from worry and anxiety because I know he knows everything about this day that is before me. He knows what needs I will have throughout the day and he'll provide for those. He knows what my challenges are and how he will resolve them. He knows where I'm heading and how he's going to get me there. He knows the people in my life that he wants to draw to himself and the conversations that he'll use through me and through others to draw them. I don't have to, to win them over, in a sense. I just have to be a faithful witness to this extraordinary saviour. Of course, in this, in this picture, I want to be really clear you know, with Jesus here serving the needs of his disciples and serving our needs, that he's not he's not zipping around at my beck and call, trying to help me to identify the, you know, the big goal for my life and and to help me to fulfill that big goal for my life. You know, and there he is trying to just make sure I do I get what I really what I what my heart says I should get, you know. He's serving me all right but he's fulfilling his goals for my life, which are better. It's not as if he's using me for his own ends, thinking of me as a curiosity or a puppet to make the puppet master look great. No, he's preparing my breakfast on the beach. He wants me at his feast. He wants you at his feast. He loves you and he died for you so that you could be there with him and now he's seeking to draw you out of the sea of chaos and danger into his wonderful eternal presence and to make you fruitful in your journey, your nets will be full. And what he wants for your life is far, far better than you could ever want for yourself. That's an extraordinary idea, isn't it? Because he doesn't just know where the fish are around you. He knows you. He knows your mind and the way, the way things work and the way you tick. He knows how you're wired, the things that you love and hate and fear and worry about. He knows what your deepest need is. He knows what your deepest desire is. Your sadness is when those desires aren't right. Maybe it's because the desire itself is not right. And the reason he knows this is because, brothers and sisters, he made you. He knit you together. And he knows that you were made for so much more than sin. Made for so much more than pain. You you were made for joy and for love. You were made for more than sickness and sorrow and uncertainty and worry. You were made for him. This week, I was in a store, and a woman came up to me and asked me if I was a pastor. And um, I said, yes, actually, I am a pastor. Um, One of the staff in the store had directed her to me because he knew me. In fact, I'd just been chatting with him. Uh, But she wasn't sure why she was coming up to me. Uh, She just felt that she was being led to share her story. I won't go into details, but she was a woman in great distress. She was feeling that her life was in crisis. She was unexpectedly out of work because of an injury, and she won't be able to get back to work for some time. She's raising four kids, doesn't know how she's going to do that. The father is nowhere to be seen, and one of these kids has recently been facing some particularly acute difficulty, which she told me about, and I was heartbroken to hear it. And now the doctors have just discovered a mass, a mass inside her lung. And she wanted to tell me all this. She felt led to tell me this. You know, I'm thinking, what do I say? How can I possibly help you? I mean, I, I listened and I, you know, and I, my, my heart went out to her. But what, you know, what good is a, you know, a pastor to you? Why are you looking for a pastor? Anyway, she wasn't asking for money. I couldn't help her with money Anyway. I can't help her get, I can't get her her working health back. I can't help her child. I can't take away the mass in her lung. But actually, what I could do is what any other brother or sister in Christ could do as well. Because it's it's not me who's going to give her the answers. I could pray to the one who knows everything. He knows where the fish are. He knows how long it will take for her to get back to work and what she's going to do in the meantime. He knows the path to healing and restoration, what she'll learn through the whole process, the way she'll grow through it. Even bigger than this, he knows there's a beach, a shore that he's calling her to, and even if, even if her nets are empty, he'll sort that out. And so I prayed for her. It was a very moving time, just sitting there on some chairs in the store, but I know Jesus will answer my prayers. Haven't you got any fish, Mark? No, there's nothing I can offer or accept love and care and a listening ear and a, and a prayer. Well, and I, and I say to him, You're the one, Lord, who will provide for this woman. And so, what, what is your personal challenge today? Where, where, where do you come to this passage from? What does this passage nudge you about? Is it a story of hardship and suffering or uncertainty and worry? Is it timidity and evangelism and fishing for people? Perhaps you're acutely aware of your shortcomings and your limitations at the moment. That is exactly where Jesus wants you to be aware of your shortcomings and limitations. The Christian life is not about trying to avoid hardship and keep up a happy appearance. It's not about being super skilled, about being comfortable, or about being impressive to others. The Christian life, it comes back to hope. Where's your hope? Is hope a good thing? You bet. You bet. Hope is a good thing. But it's hope in Christ, this one who wants, to, who's drawing you to the shore and filling your nets. We are a people who live now, empowered by Jesus and longing for the feast with Him on the beach. Let's talk to God. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your compassion for the world. We thank you for your, your, your own humility, uh, laying down your life for us, uh, your enemies, drawing us into eternal fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We thank you for your, your great uh, knowledge of us, your power over the circumstances, and your ability to fill our nets and draw us to the shore. And Lord, we pray, as we think about these realities of of us being in your hands, we just pray that you would provide for us everything we need right now, that you would make us fruitful, that you would help us to remember our, our helplessness and fundamentally be humble before you, knowing that you are our Lord and our provider, and that without you, our lives are going off in some other direction. And yet the direction you are leading us is that direction of peace and meaning and fulfilment and, and life together with you into eternity. Father, please help us to remember that we are uh, empowered by Jesus. Help us that, to know that we, we live in Jesus' love, in your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.